Hello, and welcome to a secretly funded episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brent Mosier and Travis Santana. Today, we'll be reviewing part two of our first annual Star Wars trilogy review with Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Fomeo and Juliet, Jumble Jedi, Screening the Blues, Back to Basics, Losing the Star War, and our special Sith edition uh, point of inspection, Yoda Man. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Hey, knock knock, amigo. Uh, you got a second? I just wanted to get your opinion. Do you like slate gray tile or this faux wood grain? Personally, I, I, I like the warmer palette. Wait, what, what tile for what? For the waiting area. I think the carpet is a bit outdated and it's coarse and rough and irritating. I mean, I don't disagree, but we, we've got to be tightening the purse strings right now, man. Speaking of, I was going over the books and saw we've been paying $150 a month to a Camino Industries. Does that ring any bells to you? Camino Industries. Oh, shit. Shit. Yeah, it's a crowdfunding thing. Dude, they are designing some cutting-edge tech that could really help the shop down the road. Once they complete the project, we'll get a prototype for free. I, sorry, I forgot to set that up. I, I, I wouldn't call it free. This charge has been reoccurring for 18 months now. Please, not another lecture, Master. Not on the economics of the shop. Hey, Dick, the shop has been shrouded in financial darkness since the fire, okay? And somehow you just forgot this massive ongoing expense? Who does that? Well, funny you mention it. According to George Lucas, the, the Jedi? Let's find out as we review Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Ten years after preventing the invasion of Naboo, Anakin Skywalker is reunited with Padme Amidala for the first time after a failed assassination attempt is made on the former queen's life. It doesn't take long for the post-pubescent Jedi apprentice to start making moves on the now galactic senator, forging a secret relationship you don't need the force to sense. Meanwhile, Anakin's master slash father figure, Obi-Wan Kenobi, tries to track down Padme's would-be killer, leading him to a conspiracy of galactic war. So Travis, we'll jump into our Sith point of inspection here in a second, but I would love to get your quick diagnostic of Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Your plot description makes it sound so good, Brett. <laughs> uh, all I could think of after completing this movie, because I don't think I've seen it all the way through more than the original time I watched it, which already should mm -hmm. be a red flag, but in the words of Russ Cole, time is a flat circle because upon completion of this movie, I realized, well, first of all, going in, what I remembered, awful dialogue with awful delivery, check. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the worst romance I ever recall being depicted on screen, check. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this movie, we, we've gone through two thirds of Anakin's origin story, a big part of that being his relationship with Obi-Wan, and it doesn't feel like they even like each other in this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I, through two thirds of this movie, I don't recall one scene where those two characters had an actual bonding moment. Like Anakin is just such an asshole 
to Obi-Wan the whole time. Travis, it happens in the 10 years between these movies. It's implied that they love each other, okay? Why do you need to see that on screen? Why does that need to be depicted in the story, okay? You're asking too much. It's not like this trilogy is going to conclude with the heartbreak of friend, mentor, father figure cutting the other person in half. You don't need to feel the tragedy of that at all. It's, it's implied. Yeah. Um, Even then, the Jedi aren't supposed to feel anything, right? Or I, I don't know, they're, but maybe they are supposed to love or fall in love, but don't love. Or I don't know, Anakin had some smooth move in order to get into Padme's pants for that one. So I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you checked all the boxes of how I remember this movie. Uh, did you have anything else? Well... In terms of quick diagnostic? We'll definitely touch on this. It's specific to my time capsule, and I know you're going to rip into it too, but my one hope when revisiting this, when we agreed to do the prequel trilogy, is it felt like the sequel trilogy was, I mean, it's confirmed. They were making it up as they went along, and that's what happens when you have different visionaries doing each installment. I was excited to go back to this because I thought, you know what? For all the shitty dialogue and the the bad green screen, maybe George Lucas, I don't remember that he had a through line vision. No, absolutely not. This is just as much fly by the seat of your pants as as the sequel trilogy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as we were kind of joking pre-show, George Lucas just like something would happen and he would decide he liked something better and just splinter off into another direction like reading some of the trivia like they'd build a scene like for one of the few actual set pieces for this movie because the majority of it was on green screen which we'll get into uh he, he shows up on set and goes oh yeah i decided to cut that scene but don't worry we'll find another way to use that table somewhere else so then the table winds up being inserted into another scene because he's like he doesn't want to upset the props department and i'm like dude like how did you not have like i know it's star wars and the studio's probably just throwing money at him, but I'm like, you'd think you'd have a refined story by the time you're getting to shooting. Like, I understand little tweaks here and there, but, like, it seemed like you were fundamentally changing what happened in the story. Well, let me just say, he didn't want to anger the props department. George Lucas apparently tried to convince NSYNC to film a cameo for this movie to satisfy his daughters. I guess he did film the cameo, and then he cut it, so... Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. So... But hey, he I'm sure he has that film somewhere he gave his daughters and that's all that mattered. So it's um, I will say a lot of this movie still I would watch it and I think there's still tons of problems and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I will go here and put the cart in front of the horse as we do a lot. I will say I enjoyed this more than The Phantom Menace and I didn't think I remember hating this movie and I've preached that it is the worst of the franchise but going back like it has some huge huge blemishes and flaws but collectively as a movie I enjoyed Attack of the Clones more than The Phantom Menace well there's infinitely less Jar Jar Binks so that's it's Mm -hmm. got that going for it for sure The, the pacing is better much better I'm not gonna say it's great but it's better and I still think some of the I liked some of the direction they were going with... They almost wanted to go a little film noir with Obi-Wan Kenobi finding out about the clones. Like, some of that, like, he pulled back on a lot of the... I mean, to the point where he felt the need to put a line in there, and I noticed you put it in in your... The opening sketch with uh, Anakin, like, Master, not again about politics and finance. I'm like, oh, well, he wanted to be very frank that he heard people about not wanting to hear that. I'm like, okay, you can decide to put that in if you want. If, if, if you need to be passive-aggressive, Georgie, you can do it. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I just, it's still, there's still so much weird shit that he does with this, this fucking movie. But I, again, overall, I enjoyed watching it more than I enjoyed watching The Phantom Menace. The, the biggest flaw of this movie, and let's just go ahead and jump into five points here, is Fomeo and Juliet. Um, the weird, like, him trying to do romantic dialogue and the forbidden love between the Jedi and the cinema, it's off. It, like, it's painful. It's impossible to watch. Like, I think if you just cut that shit out of the movie, I would love to see what people's impressions of this movie are because it is just terrible. I guess there's a scene, the scene where... <laughs> They're talking about ag aggressive negotiations, and he's decided that he's going to force cut the peach for her, which, might I add, does not seem like something Padme would be into. She seems like the strong, independent woman type, where, like, I don't need you to cut my fucking fruit for me. So, like, that whole scene, to me, doesn't seem like it plays well into what Padme's motivations as a person are. But beyond that, apparently that entire scene was improvised because George Lucas hated the romantic dialogue he wrote for that scene. And I'm like... Pull in a fucking ringer. Pull in someone who know. If you need romantic dialogue, you're George fucking Lucas. There's You've got to be able to call on somebody in Hollywood and be like, yo, I will give you writing credit, but I need you to help me because these scenes aren't working and I need them to. Brett, are you telling me you don't think they brought in Quentin Tarantino to write the line? If you are <laughs> suffering as much as I am, please tell me. I mean... <laughs> No actor in the world could deliver that dialogue with any sort of believability. <laughs> and, and you could literally pull up the quote list on IMDb for this movie and any scene involving Padme and Anakin. It's just the worst dialogue I've ever seen. Just pick mm -hmm. Rand, find Padme next to Anakin. It's guaranteed to be awful. What's the scene when they're getting ready to go into the Coliseum and Pam's like, I've been in excruciating pain since you've come back. And I'm like, what? This, this is what I understand. If, if on paper, Travis, on paper, the romance, all right, Padme, we'll say she's 14 years old, all right? Maybe uh, Anakin one. is eight, nine. Yeah. yeah, in episode one, eight, nine. Ten years later, Anakin is now 18, 19 years old. Okay, if this is the last woman he remind rem, like remembers having any kind of interaction with, maybe I'll give it to him that he has a love connection for her. But he was still not. He's prepubescent. Like, he doesn't even, his balls have not dropped. He probably hasn't even masturbated yet, all right? But yet, he somehow falls in love with this woman who he's not going to see or interact with in 10 fucking years, all right? She's 14, so she's 24, and you're telling me she hasn't had any relations? All she's done is thought about how there's this nine-year-old kid who I was really kind of... Like, that's weird in of itself. That yeah. 24, you're thinking back as a 14-year-old, there was a nine-year-old that, oh, I now somehow have gained feelings over 24 hours. It's so, it's so fucking weird how George Lucas put this whole thing together. Yeah, I didn't think we would get into the, the masturbatory timeline of Anakin Skywalker, so... If you had that on your bingo card, you win this week. Uh, but yeah, I could believe that Anakin would be in love with her, uh, you know, at nine years old. Because number one, I'm sure as kids, we've all had an infatuation with like an older, cooler person. But furthermore, mm -hmm. he's going on to essentially be a monk. So yeah, it very well could be this is the last time he really had true, quote unquote, emotional. Because the acting was very unemotional in episode one. But that could have been the last emotional connection he had to a woman that wasn't his mom. So I could see how he would carry the crush. To your point, she's fucking royalty. She's a senator. She's in her early to mid-20s. She would not give a fuck about this kid. Yeah, 
the, 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 what you're describing is essentially a camp counselor um, situation where 10 years later, the camp counselor's like, I do remember watching you when you were swimming. And you know what? I did kind of have a thing for you back then. So maybe let's go ahead and see where this goes because we're both legal age now, baby. Like, it's just, it's so weird when you put it in context. What they're related, and like George Lucas again had complete control. There was nothing that said he needed them to be nine and fourteen when they met, or any of that stuff. Like you could have done anything, and instead that was the story you decided. You could have decided that Padme wasn't actually Aunt or Luke and Leia's mother. He could have found someone else. But that's the story you decided to tell. <laughs> Well, if you have anything for Fomeo and Juliet, we can bounce back to it. But that leads perfectly into losing the Star War. You're exact. What you just said, he could have done anything he wanted. So let, let's start with the fact that he had the opportunity to cast any actor in the world for what should be two very iconic roles. Young Anakin Skywalker and what will be teenage and adult Anakin Skywalker. And he absolutely whiffs on both casting choices to, <laughs> to comic degrees. Like, I don't think, could there truly have been a worse actor for either role than the, the actors he picked, Jake Lloyd and Hayden Christensen? Boy, I don't know. I, so here's this. I'm going to tell I have a, a Hayden Christensen bias. All right. I looked at his IMDb. I think the best rated movie he has was, what is it about a house, which is a seven, everything else rock and uh, revenge of the Sith, I think is around a seven, three on IMDb. Everything else doesn't get above a six. And most of it rocks around a three or a four. Um, I'm only going to be apologetic for him because I want to see what he does in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. If maybe some experience in having not George Lucas direct you changes anything, or if he really is just a complete shit actor, but well, and to be to clear, point, I'm not at the time, at the time, yeah, at the time, at the time, yes, he, they, neither one of them were very, very good. So, and you brought up another interesting point. So, in Phantom Menace, you don't have to have them be 9 and 14. But, hey, if you found a 9-year-old child actor that was that phenomenal, go ahead. But, of course, he didn't find that child actor. So, again, do anything. But I think another problem that I didn't really think about until watching this movie and further analyzing their relationship, I think part of the problem is casting Natalie Portman to begin with. Because while Natalie- She's too good. She's too good, and you don't think of her as a kid. We've already seen her in The Professional several years before Phantom Menace, so she already feels older. Jake Lloyd already feels younger. So you're just never going to get over that, that icky feeling. Uh, so again, even though Natalie Portman's a great actress, I think the casting choice is the wrong one. But of course it is because George Lucas made it. <laughs> well, yeah, and to, to back up your point, you couldn't take the kid and make him 10 years older, but Padme Almadala, you could. You you were able to use the same actress for there. So like you could tell that she was already at a mature stage when you cast her as a 14-year-old. Yeah. Because you didn't need to recast her as an adult. And furthermore, when you say losing the Star War, again... George, George Lucas has the opportunity to cast just about any actor you can name. And even when he gets great ones, Samuel L. Jackson, again, is terrible in this movie. Every delivery is so wooden. I've just never seen anybody do less with more talent than George Lucas. Christopher Lee. I thought Christopher Lee is a bad guy on paper. Sounds awesome. As Count Dooku, he's, oh my God, could he be more vanilla? 
could he be could he be less of an intimidating force if possible even <laughs> i'm gonna hold off because yoda man is where we're gonna talk about the lightsaber battle because that's for this whole trilogy the sixth the sith point is always just talking about the lightsaber battles but like him and yoda having the power struggle where they're throwing things at each other and the lightning like none of that is compelling whatsoever and apparently that was added in an afterward because they decided that having the lightsaber duel between anakin and obi-wan versus count dooku and then immediately having Yoda come in and have another one, it didn't give the audience a break to appreciate it. I'm like, you should have known that in the script. You didn't need to put, you didn't need to shoot it to realize like, hmm, this is a little exhaustive for the audience. Like, <laughs> if, if it's nothing but lightsaber battles, you're right. It's probably going to be a little tiring to just watch nothing but lightsaber battles. And even then, didn't need all of that. You could have split those up, honest. Uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Okay, Christopher Lee completely, completely wasted talent for for a menacing bad guy. He should have been way more compelling. Even to the point, even to the point where you find out like, oh, Qui Gon Jinn was his apprentice. Like, I want to know more about that relationship. Why? What caused Count Dooku to go to the dark side? Like, that seems like something that would be interesting as we're watching the origin story of how Anakin turns to the dark side. Like, how would this have happened to another Jedi Master? Like, there's so many things. That George Lucas just makes weird choices on. And again, I mentioned it last week, and this movie confirms it. It's such a mistake to kill Darth Maul because the the night and day that you have going between Darth Maul as literally like the Phantom Menace, you know, take out the lightsaber. We'll, we'll, we'll save the lightsaber fight for that section, but just his presence on screen, even though Ray Park doesn't speak, and when he does, it's dubbed. The intimidation factor between Maul and Dooku, it's a wide gulf between them. And also, why do we need two old white guys teaming up? Like, I can't mm -hmm. think of a more boring <laughs> duo as far as being the great evil in the galaxy than just two, like, mid-60s, 70s white dudes. Well, it's also awesome because you're introduced to Count Dooku in the opening crawl and then i think it's an hour and 20 minutes into the movie before the first time you see him but he's supposed to be this menacing like mastermind I, I, or something like that also we've established at this point that the sith have the rule of two and the phantom menace there's a master and apprentice so did he did palpatine convince dooku right after maul died to join his like when did that happen in the last 10 years that he was able to convert this jedi to the dark side again th that's more interesting to me I also, George Lucas hasn't learned how to keep uh, a, a side character or, is, you know, something that people are like with Django Fett. Kill him off immediately. Why? Yes, I realize we had a little bit of a, a fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Django Fett, but like it would have been cool to see basically kind of like an Old West type thing. It would have been a cowboy versus samurai if you're going to do like a, a Western movie with Django Fett with the two the two blasters and Samuel L. Jackson with the, with the lightsaber. Like... But they ended that fight before it could even start. Like, there was no competition. Like, they even go to the point to show, like, oh, Django maybe could have put it if they hadn't broken his, you know, his jetpack and he hadn't been run over by a rhinoceros and all this. I'm like, why do that? Why not just let the two of them fight? Like, that's way more interesting than all of the other robot Jedi battles going on right now. There's actual two hue or two, like, organic characters fighting each other. Like, this was interesting. And, like, no, it's gone. You're just like, oh, he just, he just. Cuts its head off. Okay. Well, I guess Mace Windu's kind of a badass. I guess, maybe. I and know. the funny thing is, the lead up to Attack of the Clones, 
in the marketing and the press, all I remember hearing was like, you know, a lot of people were disappointed that Boba Fett ultimately was kind of a joke by the time he goes out and Return of the Jedi. You know, Jango Fett's going to be back. It's going to be a chance to to do right by the fans who are who love the Mandalorian armor. And then, like you said, he just gets decapitated. And does his head fall out of his helmet? Because if not, his son Boba picks up the head and is like, oh, it's, it's my dad's fucking so warm, severed head. If you watch it, there's two shadows. When his head, when the, he gets decapitated, there's a shadow for the helmet and a shadow for his head going opposite directions. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me, Brett, if, if George Lucas did that six months after the fact. This is a, yeah. you know, Greedo shot first. <laughs> it, it was in the DVD. They had to put it in after the theatrical release. But yeah, so there's there's that where it's like, I don't understand why that, <laughs> why you did that. Uh, yeah, just... Again, just as we're going through losing the Star Wars, like it's just so much of not utilizing not anything that was that is anything. on hand, yeah. whether it be character or actor. And it's another one of those where I get confused. <laughs> it's like we need one person to do. We need to to vote for the confidence of the to have a galactic uh, army. Jar Jar, we're gonna we're gonna convince you like they're politicians you could have paid someone 100 credits to make that suggestion you need one person to suggest it and like you had to you had to trick jar jar i'm like there's no political intrigue here because it <laughs> it didn't matter anybody could have done this <laughs> that's been through two movies that's been the biggest i won't say complaint because it's probably the dialogue but for all the you know all political machinations and things going behind and this is a smoke screen i'm like no, this is all just painfully simple. And yet, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. The movies try to treat the the mystery as something a lot more than than what is actually on the plate. You know, there's a bunch of yeah. garnishment and there's, you know, some fancy condiment swirls. But ultimately, there's no food on the plate. Yeah, because they, they have the throwaway line about like, I can't believe Newt Gunray after three trials and all this, he's still the viceroy of the Trade Federation. I'm like, okay, so clearly that's because Chancellor Palpatine is doing something behind the scenes to make that happen. That would have been an interesting point to actually kind of go down that road of like, is no one suspicious of Palpatine? How come he hasn't done anything during the court hearings to make something happen here? It's like clearly like there's something weird going on here. Dude, everything, We're not going to focus on that. Everything is lip service. Everything is tell, don't show. I mean, Padme mm. and Anakin's relationship, they have to tell you over and over again how much they love each other because it doesn't come through in the performance in any other way than, you know, I've been in pain every day since you came back in my life. I'm like, I don't see that. That's not depicted on screen. And... To your point, Newt Gunray, if you just happen to tune out and miss that line, mm -hmm. which I did the first time seeing this movie, I remember by the time episode three rolled around and Newt Gunray is back and, you know, spoilers for next week, uh, Anakin goes and kills them because they are no longer useful to the plan. I was like, oh, shit, those guys from Phantom Menace, I forgot. Because they literally <laughs> just fall by the wayside because Lucas's idea of political intrigue is just being like, isn't it suspicious that he beats the case every single time? And that's it. And, you know, the expanded universe, there might be a novel or something that explains it. But again, that's all these people that are not George Lucas filling in all of the, the logic gaps that he leaves because it's just smooth jazz. <laughs> just trying to fix it like, OK, I think we can plug this hole with this story. <laughs> um, I think that 
trails a little bit into back to basics. You could tell George Lucas went out on a limb for Phantom Menace and failed miserably. And then in this movie, he just tries to hit all of the same stops that he did. As much as I criticize The Force Awakens for kind of just being a rehash, like, in all fairness, Attack of the Clones is a lot of just a really shitty version of the... It's if, you know, George Lucas had had the opportunity to direct Empire Strikes Back is essentially what Attack of the Clones is. Um, Because I think he tries... Padme and Anakin, he's trying to mimic Han Solo and Princess Leia, because I'm sure they've got about the same age gap. The only difference is they didn't meet when they were 9 and 14, <laughs> um, so it, it's not as, as awkward, and I think they're a little bit older. There's also uh, Han and Leia. It's implied that between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, they were around each other because Han Solo stuck around to help with the rebellion, so like they've interacted with one another. There's there's relationship stuff that's happened that we haven't seen, but I can I can assume that like they've become a, somewhat attached to one another. And then by the end of it, when it's revealed that they do kind of have feelings for each other, like I feel like it's earned at that point. It's not shoehorned in. So he's trying to do this weird thing where he takes Han and Leia's relationship. He's like, oh, I'm just going to do the same thing with Anakin and, and Padme because people love that in Empire Strikes Back. So I'm like, it's not, it's not an apples to apples. You didn't just copy and paste. Yeah. Also, the element of the charisma gap between Harrison Ford and Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I, it's like me versus LeBron in basketball. Like, <laughs> Anakin is legitimately creepy in this movie. Like he legitimately, like the stuff in the looks he does. I'm like, and again, I know it's, he was, that's how he was told to act, but I'm like, it's one of those things. If you switch him out with an unattractive person, cause let's face it, Hayden Christian's a good looking dude, yep, right? Yep. If he's a weird looking motherfucker, that's one of those like restraining order situations. You're like, no, he's not cute. I don't want him around me. I'm pretty sure he's going to want to do something. And he's not <laughs> going to accept no as an answer. <laughs> so I'm literally looking at the, the quote screen and it's Pat Bay says, please don't look at me like that. And Anakin says, why not? And she says, because it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not subtext. Like it's, she literally, there's a scene where she's sleeping in a room and and Obi Wan returns and he's like, yeah, she turned the camera off, so she she didn't like me watching her. Like no fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Again, great romantic dialogue from George Lucas. Like I would just love to be a fly on the wall in his house. You know when he's whispering sweet somethings in his next dude if it were 2022 he would be on the elevator and with Padme the first time he'd be like hey so do you have an only fans or anything <laughs> would you like to help me polish my lightsaber <laughs> uh, it's just like it's so it's absolutely bizarre absolutely bizarre the 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 decisions that were made and all that but again back to basics you know I think What's interesting is that the movie ends very much similar where you have the heroes are caught, but I think he takes kind of a, a page from Lord of the Rings and instead of ending the movie where Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme have been captured by the bad guys, such as Han Solo being captured at the end of Empire Strikes Back, he goes ahead and does the next scene. So he goes and takes Jabba's palace and puts it at the end of you know, Empire Strikes Back where they go and are retrieved so that he can start something, you know, he can start directly into the, the combat again. Because if you're looking at the movies, it's if Return of the Jedi, it's Jabba's palace and then immediately into them attacking the Death Star and in Endor and all of that stuff. So instead, now Revenge of the Sith, which we're reviewing next week, starts off immediately with a battle between the forces in space. So it's just he literally just took a, the beginning of 
Return of the Jedi and puts it on the Empire Strikes Back. And that's because this movie, I think, is also the longest of the Star Wars movies. But again, as I say, go back to the basics. He's just hitting the same the same patterns. And he's been said quoted as saying that like these are supposed to be repetition, stuff like that. But yeah, which is why he's full Typically. of shit, because what shit doesn't make sense. He <laughs> says the complete opposite that it's it's mm-hmm. it's improvisational jazz. So when it needs mm-hmm. to be improvised because, you know, he he forgot his own fucking story that he's writing. It's jazz. When people are like, hey, this is tired and formulaic. He's like, oh, it's supposed to be that way. <laughs> like funny how you're always right, George. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you want to do Jumble Jedi or Screening the Blues next? I don't I want to save Screening the Blues because I, I literally have no idea what it is unless it's the color palette of the movie. But <laughs> I, I have some questions about the Jedi, Brett. Fantastic. I can't wait to get into this because I have questions. Maybe. And, and you are a bigger Star Wars fan than me. You've seen a lot more of the, I don't know, ex- expanded universe is the way to mm-hmm. describe it. But yeah. so maybe you'll be able to tell me that other storytellers have answered these questions better than the creator of Star Wars could. Um, mm-hmm. So time and time again in this movie, it's it's outwardly stated that the Jedi's ability to read the future or really tell what's going on is clouded by the dark side. Correct. Mm hmm. Uh, the, the final battle of this movie shows me. Uh, what, what should be cool, like hundreds of Jedi with their lightsabers fighting. So there's at least hundreds of Jedi and there are mm-hmm. two Sith. So how are two Sith able to completely cloud the force for. Presumably so hundreds of Jedi. That's where the rule of two comes in is the Sith at some point decide that if the force, there's only so much of it. Like it's a it's a pie, right? A pizza pie. So if you only have two Sith, they're able to control more of the dark side of the force, right? Because there's only two of them. So like it's not as watered down, whereas the Jedi, because there's so many of them, it's spread out. So that's where it goes into like. Because there's only a master and apprentice, they're able to use so much of the dark side because they're not having to share that pizza pie with the rest of these, you know, Sith or dark side users. Whereas the Jedi, you know, they've got so many people, it wears them thin. Okay. Now, is that something that you had to learn through not George Lucas? Extended media, absolutely. Yeah, not George Lucas. Okay. No. I mean, it might have been a George Lucas idea, but it certainly was not explained in a George Lucas production. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so here, here's my next question. Why are they so fucking stupid about Count Dooku? Like, what's the big Jedi with the cone head? Do you know his name? Oh, let's call him Conehead. I don't. Conehead. A lot of the names I'm not going to be able to give you. They, it might be Obi-Wan, it might be another character, but they're like, hey, isn't it suspicious that Dooku left the Jedi and, and now there's been this attack? And he's like, he's a political idealist, not a murderer. He would never do it. And then later in the movie, after we find out that, yes, Dooku is in fact the bad guy, Dooku tells Obi-Wan like, hey, guess what? My master's running the Senate. <laughs> and Obi-Wan's just like, no, nah, it can't be true. It can't be true. I'm like... Well, he does that, but then tells you he tells Yoda and Mace Windu, and they're like, "Nah, he's just fucking with you." Like, nah, that's a, that's just what he's doing. He's just getting in your head. That's not really what's going on. I, so yeah, I I don't understand how naive they are. Again, I I know this is supposed to depict the fall of the Jedi because they were very imperfect, but again, it just makes them look stupid when you have characters literally as the audience. I'm like. No, no, I've seen these movies. He's right. He, he, it makes perfect sense. And they're just like, nah, nah. 
And then my last question, which I kind of touched on in the open, how is it that the Jedi and the Republic in general treat what presumably is like a billion dollar clone army? How are they treating it like I treat my Netflix subscription? Like, oh, I keep fucking meaning to cancel that. Like they've been working on these clones forever and nobody from the Jedi are going to check on it. Like, so they so just keep producing. So the, I'm assuming there's some auto I'm, renewal I'm, on the, the credit card. I'm going to do, do some extended universe dump on you right now. All right. In the audience Ooh, for people who don't know. Smooches. So, some smooth cheers. Yeah. Uh, so Sifo Dias as... We, I think we have to hit explain jizz real quick in Cypher Diaz. Because that was in the, the Like you would explain to young show. Anakin. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently Cypher Diaz was originally supposed to be kind of a funny joke on, what is it, uh, Sid Fius, and it was a typo in the script. And George Lucas liked what Cypher Diaz sounded like better, so he decided to change the script. So Cypher Diaz was an actual Jedi. So that's the first part. The reason we keep referring to jizz is because apparently if you've seen Star Wars A New Hope, the cantina music, that style of music is referred to as jizz or it could have been jazz and a typo. So that's why jizz keeps coming up. Just for <laughs> clarification here. Um, <laughs> now now we can get into some extended universe here. So Sifo-Dyas was a Jedi, a master Jedi, I believe on the council, maybe, maybe not who could see the future better than most. And he saw a future where there was a giant war and tried to convince the Jedi and the Senate and all that that they needed to create a, an army to prepare for this war. And everyone was basically like, two birds to Sifo-Dyas, we're not doing that. So he went and instructed the Kaminoans to go ahead and make this clone army, saying that he had the authority... Yes. I don't know if it's there was a down payment or like he was going to say, we'll pay you in full at the end, how exactly that works. But he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'll take it back. So he goes and tells them to make the clones, right? After he does that, he's the one who tells them to put a prohibitor chip in them so that they can't attack Jedi or anything like that because he wants to protect the Jedi. Dooku is his master as well. So at one point, sifo was a Padawan of Dooku. Dooku and Sidious find out about what sifo has done and devise a plan and basically have sifo killed. And then they take over the clone operation and they are funding it with, like, I guess, Dooku and Separatist money or whatever like that. So that none of that is explained in the movie. Why All not, of that's very important information. <laughs> why not just have Dooku be the guy who ordered the clone army? Like, why Why even have the sifo character in there if you're not going to be able to do anything to explain him? Hey, hey, why not just start with the original intent that it was Sidious with a weird moniker that that's anybody could have figured out? That's or, what I thought or it Travis, was. <laughs> Travis, let's go back. Let's go back a step further. Uh, losing the Star War, you could have done anything you wanted, and that was the direction you took it. Apparently, originally, the Clone Wars were supposed to be everyone was fighting clones of themselves. Way more engaging story, because then at that point, it makes sense. Suddenly, you have to make an empire, and all these, all these people have to basically register to the empire so that they can fight their clones and all that, and it makes sense why an empire was created in the first place, as opposed to the story we get, oh, we decided to make clones to fight more f robots. 
that so it, you're telling me that it's not it's not palpatine just essentially I, over here i'm going to create a clone army over here i'm going to create a droid army that's not mm. what happened no, because that actually would have been kind of in, like politically would have made sense. No, it was another Jedi made them and Palpatine found out and then killed that Jedi and just kind of commandeered the the galactic army that was being built. And then I don't I don't think it, it really is relevant to this movie. But through my research of this movie, I also found out and correct me if I'm wrong, that these clone troopers are not the stormtroopers. No. What the fuck? You, you dress them the mm -mm. same way, but they're not. So again, extended universe drop. Here we go. Clone troopers are more expensive than regular people. So at a certain point after the Empire took over, they dismantled the clone operation, assassinated and destroyed all of the operations on Kamino so no one would find out about it. And then actually all of the stormtroopers are like recruits like people that have signed up to be yeah because i guess Imperial john boyega is clearly it's not a clone by the time mm -hmm. oh my god uh well even if we get to that point the first order are actually i think kidnapped and orphans so that's a whole nother how they created that army but and if you want to go to another step they go so far as to explain why clone troopers are accurate and the stormtroopers are not so clone troopers have different armor and apparently their armor is stronger and their helmets are better equipped. When the Empire took over, they made dumb helmets and they went, in order to save money, made cheaper armor for stormtroopers, which is why they get killed much easier and faster than clone troopers. Again, all of this is to plug holes yeah. that George Lucas left and, in the dam. And the only way you can plug them is just by, eh, budget cuts. What are you going to do? Yeah, Palpatine man, yeah, wanted a bigger bonus, mm. you know. Yeah, exactly. At this point, I mean, everybody's into the... Uh, it's an empire. Who's against it? You know? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, uh, Screening the Blues, I think. I wanted to talk about how shitty the blue or green screen is in this movie. Uh, specifically, when they decide to do the halo lighting effect behind people to make it look like it's daylight outside, it's atrocious. Like, it's so distracting where all of them, like... And it's one of those things where... Well, I think what they did was they were trying to show how realistic they could try and make something look. Because I'm like, okay, yes, you're right. If somebody is standing in front of a well-lit window, that is how they look. And that's typically why I don't look at people and talk to them when they're standing in front of a window. What movies typically do is they change the lighting so that as a movie viewer, I can actually watch it. I'm not looking to see how authentic and real you can make your lighting effects. I'm looking for you to make a decent movie is what I'm looking for. Um... So, like, yeah, just super, some of that stuff where he just decided, the the green screen, because most of this movie is on green screen, where he decided to do, I guess, realistic lighting instead of movie lighting. Because we have to prove, it's all about showing what the technology can do with George Lucas. Brad, let me tell you, it George Lucas can destroy what cinema is more than any other director. I'm You can throw Uwe Boll in there. Because I've never seen another director where I can't decide on what I'm more distracted by. The terrible green screen or the terrible dialogue. It's occurring at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. It's in that moment that I'm like, this brings nothing of cinematic value at all. Not, I'm not saying every single scene, but there are long 
stretches of time where I'm cringing at the dialogue. There's nothing good to look at on the screen. And I'm just like, this movie cost, I'm sure, north of $100 million. And this is the best script and the best green screen and the best acting that we can come up with. It's wild. So here's the, here's the thing, Travis. Contrary to popular belief, two wrongs do make a right. So if you have shitty green screen and shitty dialogue, suddenly the scene is okay. You just have to make sure everything's in twos like the Sith. It's a rule. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. That, that. that was probably explained in an extended universe book. Yeah, or I'm sorry. Well, okay. it was yeah. actually. Yeah, it's in one of the cartoons. Got so it. I apologize. Okay. Yeah, that's that like, I always now. have to try and remember where the cartoons come in. Yeah, um, I might have to change yeah. my score of this movie because that, through that lens. <laughs> yeah, this is dynamite work. Um, But beyond that. Just yeah, yeah. I don't the, the Jedi. I don't know how many red flags have to go up that Anakin probably isn't fit to be a Jedi before they're like, mm, maybe we should have revoked at his his Padawan card. Like at this and this at by the end of this movie, Obi Wan Kenobi is as responsible as Anakin becoming Darth Vader as Palpatine is, as far as I'm concerned. Like when he's going off about, oh, I miss Palpatine. I haven't seen her in ten years and all this. I'm like. Moby one could have been like, you shouldn't have this level of <laughs> lust, like straight up lust for her. And then in the whole at the end, when he wants to jump off the ship to save her after she falls in the sand. Um, and he's like, we have to put the ship down. It's like, Obi-Wan, at this point, like there's something going on. Like you need to step in here. Like you need to tell the Jedi Council. Like, also. At this point, Yoda has sensed that, Ant through the dark side clout, um, has sensed that Anakin has gone through some shit because he wouldn't kill all the sand people. So I it's like, hate them. I by, killed them all, not just the men. By, yeah. By the end of this movie, like, Anakin should be on double secret probation. <laughs> it should be like, we're going to take your lightsaber, all right? You're going to get a stick for a little while or some kind of something like we're going <laughs> to we're going to dampen your force powers just until you can kind of calm yourself down a little bit, home dog, because you're kind of losing it. Well, and here's the thing. It's not just. Padme clouding his judgment, even just simple commands like, hey, we can't fight Dooku one on one. We need to team up. Let's strategize. And Anakin's like, no, I'm going right fucking now. I'm like. You can't even follow instructions that might save your life. So, yeah, double <laughs> secret probation, most certainly. Or, you know, yeah. as my mom used to call it, a good old fashioned attitude adjustment. <laughs> like you're crying I would have about loved Padme, to, I'll give you something to cry about. I would have loved to have seen Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do, I, do we need to do an attitude adjustment right now? Yeah. Anakin? Also, Obi-Wan Kenobi's beard was awful. His hair you was You want to talk about other... You want to talk about distracting? Apparently, some of this, like, if it, apparently, if you watch it, you can see there's some scenes where he's wearing a wig and a faux beard because he was doing another shoot. I don't know what scenes there are because all of it looks terrible. Like, if part of that was his natural beard, like, it all was not something he should have done. Like, it was all awful. Yeah, I noticed it in, like, the very first scene he appears in. It appears that they cut a portion of, of just a piece of carpet and just pasted it onto his head. Just brown carpet. Dude, I couldn't look at his hair because I couldn't get past his face. The the, the mange, the weird, the weird, like, where it's like, they just 
glued pubic hair to his face. Like I could not bleached pubic hair. Like I could not get past how bad, how bad his facial hair looked. See, I was the same way with the hair. There were times where I'm like, why is he wearing a Daniel Boone hat? <laughs> um, also on Camino, oh. if the planet's always raining, would you not have a covered launch pad or something? Like it's just inconsiderate to people who land there. Even to you, you know, maybe they like being wet. I don't know, but like some kind of covered walkway or something. Um, so do you want to discuss the saber fight? Yes. Okay. So now we'll go our, our special Sith point of inspection. Yoda man, the saber fight. Boy, oh boy. Um, <laughs> Frogman Yoda was terrible. I hated it. I hate, I, it's, I can't. Losing the Star War, we didn't. I never needed to see Yoda garnish a lightsaber. I would have been perfectly happy him just being super old and wise, and it's just like he's there for wisdom and his power with the Force. I don't need him to be able to put the the cane down and and find energy to jump around like a like a lunatic. Not only that, it looked. I can't imagine asking Christopher Lee, like, okay, we're going to film this. Just wave your lightsaber around, and then we'll just put CG and just kind of make it look like he connects wherever your lightsaber is kind of throwing around. Like, there's no way he could have choreographed that where he knew he needed like, It's just like, just flail around with it. it, it it'll be fine. It'll look great in post. Yeah, I, I. I didn't see this in the theater. And from what I understand, it, it generated a, a huge crowd pop, you know, to use wrestling terms. And I guess as a shared theatrical experience, if, you know, I've been a fan of Star Wars for 30 years and always wondered what a Yoda fight would look like, I could see myself getting swept up in the emotion of watching it with a large group of Star Wars fans. And I'm sure it accomplished the mission, but it's one of like, much like the rest of this movie, if you just graze beyond the surface, it's just dumb as hell. It, it Visually, maybe today they could pull that off in a convincing looking way, but it just, to your point, it looks ridiculous, especially when you're contrasting that with Christopher Lee, who, you know, God bless him, was an old man by this point, cannot move. So you have a CG frog that's not actually there versus a guy who can barely lift his arms above his head. Not only that, there's a there's a lead up to that, to that fight because Christopher Lee... <laughs> Count Dooku makes the comment. Clearly, we are matched with power, so we'll have to we'll have to settle this with our lightsaber skills. And you're like, oh, this is gonna be cool. It's not. It's actually <laughs> gonna be really lame. It's gonna be worse than a cartoon. It's this is bad. And even Dooku's lightsaber is lame. Like mm -hmm. it just has like a. Oh, you don't like hook. his. You don't like his little curve. Yeah. You don't like his little curved lightsaber. Which again, coming off of Darth Maul, you just make the most milk toast villain. And you have a fight that, look, this is supposed to be this movie's duel of the fates. I, I, well, I guess maybe the end arena fight. I don't know. Nothing compares to what duel of the fates did. So, no. This movie, to me, the pacing might be a little bit better, but there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, where at least Phantom Menace, I've got that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with, with, with any of that. It's... Yeah, there's a George Lucas tried to fix everything he did wrong in Phantom Menace, but also left out all of the good stuff he did in Phantom Menace. It's like you didn't learn from it at all. Or maybe he, he thought he did. He's like, I have to one up that sweet lightsaber battle we did. What if 
Yoda is the one jumping around, but he'll be like a CG like frog. It's like it's not the same. It's not the same. I will as a weird as a little bit of a side note, um, because didn't get into it. I actually did enjoy the character of Dex, and I he I feel like he's completely out of place in this movie, the 1950s diner guy. Like I loved that scene. I really did love that scene. It does not fit this movie at all. It doesn't make any sense, but it is one of my favorite scenes in the whole I was going to say, I, I would argue that it's the best scene in the movie. And and that's half praise for that character in the scene and half just there's not much surrounding it. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's like a little little shout out for Dex, because I don't think he makes a lot of appearances anywhere in Extended Universe. But I'm like, I, I he to me is the shining light of this movie. Um, so... <laughs> I think he's an interesting. He's a cool alien design in terms of CG. His the personality that's brought through, I think, is really cool. And then again, just seeing Obi Wan Kenobi interact with somebody like he has like ties outside of Jedi, it's just to me that is one of the most enduring scenes of this movie. So I, I kind of teased it before we jumped on here, Brett, and and we we've been talking about Lucas. I don't know the order you want to do this in, but could could we squeeze in the time capsule? Because I think it's going to be worth your let's, time. Listen, the time capsule is going to be worth my time. Uh, listen, we we don't have to we don't have to do any kind of like set set thing. So I think yeah, if this is a good place to put in time capsule, I think we'll we'll jump out of six or six six five five, five point inspection, uh, and we'll we'll go into some time capsule. Travis, hit me with some time capsule. So I apologize if she's listening to this or will listen to this. This pertains to George Lucas's ex-wife. And I copied a bunch of various notes that I found, but I forgot to just copy her name. So apologies. Um, <clears throat> but number this one. This isn't going to be like the Steve McQueen, like biography, like when we find out that Steve McQueen was like just terrible to his wife. Is it? Oh, no, no, no. Nothing that serious. Okay, okay. More, more comedic, way more comedic. <laughs> okay, so George didn't beat her. That's, no, no, okay. No. So, number one, let me just start with, in mid-1982, she asked for a divorce, but in order to maintain a positive public image, George asked her to wait until after the release of Return of the Jedi to go public with that decision. So, classic George Lucas, he's not worried about his marriage failing. He's just like, hey, this could hurt the numbers on Return of the Jedi. Can you hold off for me, honey? So, she is the, for, she was the, um... She was one of the editors, wasn't she, for A New Hope, I think? Yeah. Oh, hopefully I'm not spoiling yeah. that from no, you. No, no, so. no. I'm glad, I'm glad you're, you're familiar with her, though, at least. But yes, it is that yeah. same ex-wife. Um, yeah, so she she actually helped actually make Star Wars, because from what I've heard, A New Hope was unwatchable until people got on there and actually recut the movie. Yeah, Mark Hamill <laughs> gives her a ton of credit for, yeah, saving the first Star Wars. So you're exactly right. Um, but here here's the line that really just jumped out at me. Um, in J.W. Rensler's posthumous final book, uh, Howard Kezengen, A Producer's Life, anyway, Lucas, now this is Lucas's ex-wife being referred to here, Lucas criticized the later Star Wars films. She revealed that upon seeing The Phantom Menace, she, quote, cried because she didn't think it was very good. Particularly criticizing <laughs> the age gap between romantic leads Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala. Um, on the sequel trilogy, she stated that Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams, quote unquote, don't get it. 
saying she was furious at the deaths of Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, as well as the lack of explanation for Rey's powers. Um, and again, uh, there was another article uh, talking about the review of this particular movie. It said, considering the reaction to the Star Wars prequels and George's distance from the franchise now, it's not a stretch to say that Marsha, there, there's her name, was actually the glue that kept the galaxy far, far away together, or at the very least helped repair when it needed to be fixed. That's what we've always said. George Lucas is a visionary, but he needs someone to, to, to refine what he's doing and keep him focused. So none of that surprises me whatsoever. And yeah, can you imagine, Brett? Like, I'm assuming they parted on somewhat good terms, I, I would hope, but being so heavily involved in bringing that original trilogy to life. And then mm. you go you, in 99, you see what your baby's going to evolve into without your involvement. I can't, I can't, I could, I could get the reaction of just, just breaking down in tears as credits roll. Like, Oh fuck, this is part of my legacy now. So I haven't seen it, but have you heard of the Topher Grace recut of the prequel trilogy? No, I have not. So Topher Grace of that 70s show. Who auditioned for Anakin Skywalker, by the way. Who didn't? There were 400 people that auditioned. Who didn't audition for for that role? Um, Apparently, he's big into like recutting movies like that, but apparently he recut the or the prequel trilogy into one movie and it apparently is just infinitely better than any three of the movies by themselves like just if you watch that cut of the prequel trilogy it's just it's it's very very good i have not myself seen it i don't even know if i could find it i'm sure if you did enough sleuthing you might be able to find a, an illegal copy but yeah apparently he recut the three of them together and and made it one movie and it excuse me is actually very good yeah because as i mentioned last week these first two movies need to just be one movie and the third movie needs to be two movies so yeah it's in dire need of an edit and george lucas's ex-wife agreed the phantom menace just needed to be some of those little like 10 minute vignettes you get before like blade runner 2049 did there's a couple vignettes they did if you needed a little bit more explanation to the universe they, they weren't necessary for the movie, but they were there. That's what the Phantom Menace should have been. Just a couple vignettes that gave you a little backstory. Or like we said before, just some flashbacks. Speaking of Blade Runner and Blade Runner 249, though, do you think George Lucas got a little bit of inspiration from Blade Runner when we were driving through fucking Coruscant? Because I'll tell you this, he did. All right? Because it was a shitty recut or reshot of Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, and the whole time I'm just like, it's incredible that Ridley Scott made a much prettier version of this you know, what, 30 years prior, 20 years prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it was to the point where I was like, it feels like somebody should be getting paid off of this just for you ripping it off. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who would own those rights, but yeah. <laughs> At a certain point, it's like, is do I need to watch Blade Runner? Is this just the same footage under, like, did they put a filter on it? <laughs> like, it's ridiculous how close... George yeah. Lucas just said, like, yeah, Coruscant is just Blade Runner. Like, that's what Coruscant is. Can we just... Can we just like reshoot Blade Runner? Can we also, I, to me, all of that stuff, the, the the speeder chase, it was basically, let me rip off Blade Runner. Well, I got to make it a little bit different. Uh, let me combine the fifth element and boom, that that's all that is. <laughs> and the vehicle that uh, Anakin chooses that y'all, 
that as soon as he chose that yellow speeder, I'm like, oh, is this is this a callback to American Graffiti? Is this just George Lucas trying to give a shout out like because he loves to put thx references all through his movies i'm like the dude cannot help but reference himself he is one of the most meta directors i know yeah and he references american graffiti with the spaceships like over and over again like and, and we'll proudly tell you in the commentary for revenge revenge of the sith but yeah, never has a director done less but wants to reference himself more. Like if you're Spielberg and you want to reference yourself, okay. Like, but you've done American Graffiti and Star Wars. And And apparently alleged- you only kinda did Star Wars. Yeah, yeah clearly. <laughs> you kinda had an idea and other people made it work. So alrighty. Uh that's a great time capsule. Um I guess we'll just proceed into Blue Book here. So you had a guess, and you weren't far off earlier when you said how much you thought this movie cost. So the sticker price for this here flick was $115 million, which I do believe was the most expensive Star Wars film until The Force Awakens. So of George Lucas's Star Wars, this one was the most expensive do you want to take a wild guess how much this movie made U.S. and Canada? I know it didn't clear a billion because I remember that was a big red flag. Like Phantom Menace made over a billion and this one had a stark drop. I'm going to say $760 million. Audience can't see my face, but it doesn't look good. Gross U.S. in Canada was $310 million. Oh, oof, oof. Yeah. Huge drop. Yeah, Huge I guess drop. I was probably thinking worldwide box office, but if you just told me North American Canada, I would have said at least mm. half a billion. So that's dramatically lower than I would expect. So gross worldwide. That's, yeah, so that, I was in. thinking that was this. well, shit, now I know what the U.S. and Canada is. Uh. I'll say it hits 700 even because honestly, I think some of Lucas's failings get fixed in other countries because they probably dub him. The, the dubbed acting is better than mm-hmm. what's on screen. So I'll say it was dramatically more successful and still hit, you know, 720 million. You're close. You're close. Uh, 650. Well, if we, if we want to round about 654 million. So it, if you look at the gross of Phantom, that it almost was cut in half. Yes. Jesus, that had so, to be alarming so here's for the, Fox. Here's the question. Is it because people thought the Phantom Menace was so bad that they didn't give this one the credit? Or is it was because when this came out, people didn't enjoy it and did not say, don't, they were like, don't, don't worry about going seeing it? Or was it a combination of both? I think it's 100% a combination of both. I think there's also an element of, oh, it's the middle part of the trilogy and we're Mm. all just I think a lot of people would come out of Phantom Menace and be like oh wait this is what we're gonna get I'll just wait to the third and just see how it actually goes down I don't need two Mm. hours of this shit again I'm trying to remember if I saw this one in theaters I know for a fact I did not I know I saw Phantom Menace and I know we saw Revenge of the Sith Many times together. Yeah, as I said, a few times. I, I do not know if I saw this one in the theaters or not. I want to say I probably did, but I guarantee you I didn't do opening weekend. 
Yeah, so. I watched it much later on DVD and so much. I, I remember the first time I tried to watch it and I literally fell asleep shortly after the Blade <laughs> Runner ripoff scene. Oh, yeah. All right. So now my favorite segment, tag and title. Travis, I'm going to ask you, do you want it easy? What I would, I think will be easier for you. Do you want it tougher this week? Or do you want to com- combine it? Do you want to go and have two adjacents? That's what I'm asking. You, you put the work into it. So let give, give me the full smorgasbord. All right. So normally we're going to do some tag and title. Normally this segment, I would give Travis one of the original taglines for this movie one tagline for a movie I found adjacent, and one tagline I created myself. But this week, I'm going to give you two adjacent taglines and see if you can come up with it. I think one of them you will know based off of Blade Runner 2049. That's a huge hit. Fucking goddammit. Based off of our history, that's a little bit of a hint, only you will get, we'll see if you can get one of the adjacents. All right. Are you ready? Let's ride. All right. <laughs> it's not war, it's survival. A Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love. They're already here, and forces are gathering. They're already here as War of the Worlds. Yeah, yeah! baby! <laughs> So for the audience, there was a long period of time where we uh, we watched War of the Worlds and then played a lot of Risk, and there was a long-running joke where we would always put one piece in New York, and that was Robbie, because Robbie couldn't be killed. <laughs> if you've seen that movie, it makes sense, because Robbie should be dead. <laughs> if it hasn't, spoiler alert! <laughs> but yes. We're definitely going to do that movie sooner rather than later. <laughs> they've been Um, planning it for a million years (laughs) uh, so uh, the first one was it's not war it's survival yep I'm gonna say that's survival of the planet of the apes or one of the planet of the apes Uh, movies not not far off that was battle Los Angeles oh god what a great trailer 2011 2011 battle Los Angeles Uh, alright so that leaves you with a Jedi, sh- uh, a Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love, or forces are gathering. Uh, I'll say forces are gathering is the actual official. Uh, and okay. So that obviously means you made up the other one. The Jedi should know no anger, love. You got them reversed. I made up forces are gathering. Fuck! And... Yeah, the of one of the official taglines for this movie was a Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love. The other two were the saga continues, uh, and the clones are coming. <laughs> Smooth jizz. Yeah. Smooth jizz. Send in the clone. Damn, so forces are gathering is not an official tagline at all? No, it's not. See, you do such a good job, you son of a bitch, of some weeks making yours like, eh, and then some weeks really, yeah, well done. Because, yeah, that's a great, great tagline for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. So uh, that ends tag and title, which I believe, Jesus Christ, I'm not looking forward to this. I believe brings us to Chop Shop. Yeah, yeah. 
Alrighty, folks, if this is your first time tuning in, normally this is the part of the show where we will take the movie we've watched and turn it into a different genre of film. That is not different this week. The difference being that because we are doing an actual trilogy for a trilogy, we decided to take the challenge of actually making all of our chop shops flow into one another. Now, to make things even more difficult, we didn't choose one genre and stick with that genre for all three movies. Each week, our genre changes. So, to put this into perspective, last week I had The Phantom Menace and I had Family Friendly. So I drastically altered that movie into basically a Disney princess movie. This week, <laughs> I got horror. <laughs> so beyond having to turn... Attack of the Clones into a horror movie, I also have to take all of the edits I made to last week's Phantom Menace and make those work in this week's, also knowing next week we're doing the Revenge of the Sith. So it's going to be an interesting ride. Um, I think both me and Travis have, have done ourselves dirty, um, but I look forward to seeing what, what exactly comes out of this. So as I said, I got horror. You got blockbuster so um although this might be considered a blockbuster we put it under the sci-fi category so travis who would you like to go first in this week's choppy shoppy well you getting horror brett i can only think of of one movie to riff off of and it would make sense as to where anakin is so i hope i don't steal your thunder I, I'm pretty sure you've never seen this movie, but have you ever seen the Julia Roberts classic Sleeping with the Enemy? No, I have okay. not. Well, if anybody's listening to this and have, if you've seen Sleeping with the Enemy and Attack of the Clones, you can 100% see the movie I would make. So look into Single White Female if you get five minutes to read the wiki at some point, Brett. It, it, you'll laugh <laughs> a lot thinking about Julia Roberts being Padme and her abusive husband being Anakin. All right. I mean, that's a direction I could have taken it, but didn't. Okay. Well, I'm interested to see where you went nonetheless. <laughs> oh, you want me to go first? Yeah, absolutely. If, that, if you're right. good with that. So, <laughs> if you remember, recap from last week, I had a post credit scene, which left Darth Maul alive. Which means I pretty much just ripped off your half... <laughs> idea last week and made Darth Maul my horror antagonist for this week, which would not have been able to be done had, had I not kept not, him alive yeah. last week. So I and this thing, we don't know what we're doing. I have no idea what I'll be doing for a chop shop next week. It just worked out that way. So Travis, feel free to interject whenever you want. I'm pretty sure that mine is as pieced together as a George Lucas film. So there's going to be a lot of missing pieces as I tried to make this thing work. Uh, this is by far the most challenging chop shop I have tried to put together. Well, may right. maybe some people will come behind us years from now and fill in all the gaps on our chop shop for us. One can only hope, right? <laughs> so we open with a Naboo Royal Cruiser flying through space because every Star Wars movie is opened. I don't know if you know that it opens with a ship flying through space. So I got to keep that going. It is King Amidala because if we remember last week, because we did the whole princess thing, there was a King Amidala. It was Princess Amidala. She wasn't queen. So King Amidala is speaking to Palpatine on his hollow deck, because they're good old buddies. The two are discussing how they look forward to seeing each other on Coruscant. Since, since in the last 10 years, Palpatine has been elected chancellor, 
and Padme's future as a senator, all right? Because she's taking up the wing, becoming a senator. When suddenly the connection is lost, the power to the ship goes down and the emergency generators come off, flicker on, right? Amidala starts walking through the ship, calling for help, trying to figure out what's going on for his aides, when all of a sudden he trips over a severed arm. He screams in horror and starts to run through the ship, reaching the cockpit only to find both of the pilots dead. He rushes back to his quarters and locks the door, all right, looking through a small porthole into the hallway in panic, when all of a sudden the room illuminates red behind him. Hard cut. Ooh, I like the vibes already. <laughs> On Coruscant, the king's ship lands with Padme eagerly awaiting for her father, right? The ship lands and the doors open, but nobody immediately exits. After a few seconds, a melon-sized shape rolls down the ramp a few feet from F Padme stands. Uh, when it comes to a stop, she realizes it's her father's head. Now, Padme screams, but for eagle-eyed viewers, you're going to see a, f like a, a mysterious shadowy figure drop out of the, uh, like the landing um like landing what is it gear. legs yeah the landing gear thank you the landing gear and kind of run off all right because we have we have to how did somebody get off the ship, right so in the background you can see a cloaked figure slipping out of the landing gear and off the platform padme screams we hard cut to uh, palpatine's office palpatine is in his office consoling padme when a group of jedi arrive the Jedi explain that they can find absolutely no trace of this assassin or any motive, but they believe it to be related to Count Dooku's plot to overthrow the Galactic Senate. Now, if you remember, Dooku showed up in my last one as a potential suitor for Princess Amidala. Dooku has been recruiting systems across the galaxy, unhappy with the current government. He had a falling out with Palpatine, who was supposed to be his buddy, right? His goal is to amass an army large enough to challenge the Republic and secede into a new confederacy. Dooku was trying to pressure Amidala after the failed marriage because Naboo is rich in resources and has a strong military operation due in large part to Palpatine's recommendations, right? Because again, he was in the ear of the king. Palpatine recommends the Jedi that Jedi be assigned to all of the senators whom Dooku has been trying to persuade into the separatist. The Jedi agree. Anakin is assigned to Padme when the government building goes into lockdown. Several this is where we do a scene where people are being hunted down and stuff like that. Several senators are shown being hunted and killed as well as their Jedi guards. They are informed there has been an attack on another Nabooian senator. I know I didn't bring up Jar Jar in my chop shop last week, but I figured we could go ahead and kill him off in this one just as, you know, fan service. Palpatine suggests that the three of them, Anakin, Padme, and him, go to Naboo and hide while planning the king's funeral because they're still mourning the loss of, the you know, King Amidala. At this point, Obi-Wan Kenobi looks into the king's data log and traces the ship's last departure from planet Kamino, where uh, in the logs it said that Amidala, King Amidala had had an audience with Count Dooku. The Jedi send Obi-Wan Kenobi to investigate what was going on there. So Obi-Wan Kenobi is now boarding a large starship, not his little Jedi starfighter. I thought it was weird that that's what he took. It should be a starship. So he, he uh, boards a larger starship when a shadowy cloaked figure slips in the ship behind him. Obi-Wan Kenobi lands to discover Dooku has hired the Kaminionian. 
I have no idea. Yeah. Minionians to build a clone army to reinforce the separatist army. So it's not going to be these because I didn't bring up the Trade Federation at all. So the robots don't exist in my universe. So to reinforce the separatists, most of the army has already been deployed to unknown locations, but the Kaminionians <laughs> do have the coordinates to Dooku's last known location. Okay, so they give these to Obi Wan Kenobi so that he can go try and pursue Dooku. While exploring the facility, Obi-Wan Kenobi stumbles upon and discovers a secret laboratory where there are tons of just giant chamber or uh, like pods of clones of senators, royals, and other high-ranking members of society are being stored, all right? As he's inspecting the stasis chambers, he senses a dark presence behind him and a red lightsaber blade ignites all right out of the shadows steps a masked sith and the two begin a battle among the clone chambers while the fight is happening it seems as if the sith warrior is actively destroying all of these clones like he's slicing as much as he's fighting obi-wan kenobi he's also slicing through and destroying all of these like clones of higher ups right um he's destroying all this in a familiar move the sith hits obi-wan kenobi in the chest all right while Obi-Wan Kenobi is trying to do a downward strike, stunning him, but Obi-Wan Kenobi falls backward to avoid being stabbed in the chest, much like one Qui-Gon Jinn was stabbed, <laughs> all right? While on the ground, a metal foot steps firmly, firmly on Obi-Wan Kenobi's chest and uses the Force to attach Obi-Wan's lightsaber to the Sith's hilt, or the hilt to the Sith belt. The mysterious fighter then removes his mask to reveal Darth Maul. Darth Maul's menacing grin cracks open as he says, you all will play for what you did to me, even Sidious. As he presses down on Obi-Wan and takes the datalog with Dooku's coordinates, he prepares to kill him as a group of soldiers rush in, and Maul is forced to retreat, deflecting the volley of blaster fire. Obi-Wan notifies the Jedi that Maul survived and appears to be hunting down anyone involved with the Naboo episode 10 years ago for revenge. He also believes Maul was an apprentice to a Darth Sidious um, and that the, the, there were clones of most of the higher-ranking officials and politicians, and there's no way of actually knowing who is who anymore. The Jedi believe that Count Dooku is Darth Sidious. Back on Naboo. While there... Anakin is mentored by Palpatine and begins to be a, uh, begins to plant the seed of a relationship with Padme. Uh, Palpatine uses the opportunity to ensure that the two are romantically entangled. Uh, partway through, um, they are notified of the encounter with Maul and to be on high alert. Palpatine seems unconcerned, boasting that Anakin's ability of Anakin's ability to be retiring for the night. In the next scene, Palpatine is contacting Dooku to discuss Maul's involvement. When a lightsaber blade goes through Dooku's chest, he falls and Mar Maul appears in the frame. He tells Palpatine he was foolish to think that he could be replaced so easily, that surely he could sense the force and knew that he wasn't dead. Maul vows to kill Palpatine and complete the plan by himself. Palpatine ends the hollow call, walks over to a secret compartment in his chambers where several Dooku clones sit hibernating in chambers. Ooh. End of movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that is my horror version 
of uh, of Attack of the Clones off of my family-friendly version of The Phantom Menace. <laughs> and I love how, in true Empire Strikes Back fashion, you give us a pretty nice cliffhanger to take us into the third installment. That, oh. You said it was your most difficult. It might be your best, Brett. That was that was well done. This is one of those cases where I wish I had gone first. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. so. Yeah, trapping the trapping the senators in the chambers too. Like that would make for such a good horror scene too. Picking mm-hmm. picking them off. Yeah, five stars, Brett. Well, that was the challenge: is trying to find what would be a generic like horror scene while still having enough like where I can set up the characters and set up too. again yeah. world building. So I because I know what they have to do in the third movie. Yeah, for a hot second when when Sidious was on the phone, I was like, is he going to have Darth Maul kill Sidious right now? In the third movie, there will be no Palpatine. I was like, no, surely not. <laughs> so, well done. I was uh, I was in suspense. Fantastic. Well, I will. <laughs> I can't wait to see where forensic accountant Jar Jar Binks goes in this week's blockbuster. Um, so, yeah, I got blockbuster. I'll go ahead and kind of tip my hand to some of the influences that way when they become readily apparent. It'll help paint the picture a little more in your head. But mm-hmm. uh, basically two movies with a sprinkle of another. The, the two primary influences are Michael Bay's The Rock. And a, a Ben Affleck movie called The Accountant, which I felt was appropriate. Have you seen The Accountant? <laughs> I have not, but I already like where this is going. I know of the movie and I know the premise of it. I so. recommend it. It's actually a very underrated movie. Um, and then a little sprinkle of Black Hawk Down. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, did you choose that because of that? That's the movie that McGregor was filming why he had to be clean shaven and shave his head. Why they had to put a prosthetic uh, hairpiece and must or uh, facial yeah, hair on him? Yeah, because he's got the the military high and tight in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so, so Black Hawk Down, ni- nice uh, unintentional reference there. Well, hey. <laughs> All right. So before I even get into what we're carrying over from the first movie, this is just going to open with a flashback. Uh, a young Jar Jar Binks, we'll call him nine years old, is stick fighting with his younger brother named Brax, who is, we'll say, seven. At first, what appears to be playful picks up intensity. Jar Jar is much more hesitant in combat than his younger brother and eventually lays down the sword. His brother lowers his sword when a voice off camera yells, finish the job. Brax looks over as the camera reveals the two boys' father who has been supervising the training session. So... Going back to my first movie, you'll recall that Jar Jar's father and his father, so Jar Jar's grandfather, were banished way back mm-hmm. in the day from Gungan society. So I want to kind of paint the picture that their dad is a little unhinged because of being kicked out because people accuse the grandfather of being a heretic. So he's the son of a heretic. He might be a little off. Yeah, he's the heir of an heretic. Ooh, ooh yeah, that, that's got a ring to it. Um, yeah, so Brax looks over as the camera reveals the two boys' father who's been supervising the training session. Brax raises his wooden sword, causing Jar Jar to cower in fear. The father yells for Jar Jar to pick up his sword. Uh, the father glares at Brax, disappointed uh, that he's not finishing Jar Jar. Uh, the father walks over, picks up Jar Jar's sword, strikes both boys for not following his orders. Uh, 
Uh, and then we're going to cut to present day. Uh, of course, Jar Jar fulfilled the prophecy of the one who would reunite the Gungan people in the events of episode one. So that wasn't necessarily prophesized, but by the end of the movie, you remember the two factions of the Gungans were now working together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that success leads him to work for the Gungan government, eventually becoming a senator. So I tried to kind of keep Jar Jar where he was in terms of this movie, but give a little background as to what he's doing when he's not just randomly okay. walking through the back of scenes. I can dig it. On one of his frequent visits to Coruscant, Obi-Wan confides in Jar Jar about his growing mistrust of Chancellor Palpatine. In the 10 years since the first movie, the Jedi have become weaker and weaker, with Palpatine approving numerous budget cuts to the Jedi Order. Um, Obi-Wan asks Jar Jar to review some financial documents that Padme has provided uh, in much the same fashion as last week's Chop Shop. Uh, Jar Jar uncovers numerous financial documents suggesting a massive project on the planet Kamino that has burned nearly $2 million of the Republic's money. Obi-Wan demands more details, implying accounting is easy work, and Jar Jar scolds him, telling them it's not that simple, even for the greatest forensic accountant in the galaxy. He tells Obi-Wan, and this is going to be that blah, blah, lazy movie logic, he tells Obi-Wan that there's an answer key of sorts within the documents, but to read the key, he needs to know the question. He surmises that the missing information is likely stored on a computer within the Camino firewall. So gotta have an excuse to get him to Camino. Mm-hmm. So the Jedi Council approves Obi-Wan and two other Jedis that totally won't die in the second act uh, to go to Kamino. Um, Obi-Wan also asks for permission to bring Jar Jar as he's the only one that can access the hypothetical computer on Kamino. The council agrees. Jar Jar, however, resists the request, stating that he's an accountant, not a Jedi, not a soldier. Obi-Wan assures him that the Jedi will protect him. Jar Jar asks, hey, no kung fu, no laser sword fighting, just accounting? Obi-Wan confirms, just accounting. Uh, So Jar Jar agrees to the mission. So in case you couldn't tell, Obi-Wan's going to be Sean Connery and Mm -hmm. Jar Jar is going to be Nicholas Cage, but instead of a chemical expert, he's an accounting expert. I can dig it. Um, so the night before the mission, Jar Jar is lying in bed restless. As he tosses and turns, we cut to another flashback of his childhood. Jar Jar, now 14, is riding in a car with his brother and father. Through dialogue, we learn that Jar Jar has saved up his allowance and lawn mowing money, whatever, uh, to save for a used computer to continue his passion for accounting. <laughs> Hey, listen, every kid's got to have a different dream, right? They can't all be astronauts. (laughs) Uh, As the family arrives at a sketchy-looking house on the outskirts of town, the front door of the house opens to reveal a friendly-looking man who invites them inside. But inside, it is revealed that this is a setup. Several other men ambush the family. Uh, The father uh, immediately overpowers one of the assailants, and Brax jumps into action as well. Jar Jar, however, still fears the confrontation and freezes. The father is killed in the struggle before uh, Brax can kill the final attacker. Then uh, we cut directly to Obi-Wan, Jar Jar, uh, two more Jedi, and a few Naboo guard armed with rifles as they ride in a helicopter-like spacecraft into the atmosphere of Kamino. Kamino. The Jedi expect little resistance outside the compound, so are caught off guard when the chopper experiences heavy ground fire. The team decide to jump from the plane early and use their rebreathers to swim the rest of the way to the compound because Kamino is nothing but ocean, as you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Obi-Wan gives Jar Jar a pep talk about the preparedness of the Jedi and reassures him again that the team will make it through. Uh, so Jedi number one and a member of the fire team jump out of the plane, quickly followed by Obi-Wan and Jar Jar. During the fall to the water, Jedi number one and the fire team member are shot by a laser and are dead before hit, hitting the water. A horrified Jar Jar screams in fear before hitting the water himself. Jar Jar pops out of the rough water to panic, followed by Obi-Wan. Misa not supposed to be out here. Misa gonna die. Obi-Wan comforts Jar Jar, assures him that it was a one in a billion shot that killed the Jedi and that two Jedi and a fire team will be more than enough. Just then, Jedi number two and the fire team hit the water and are quickly devoured by a large sea creature. We so gonna die! Obi-Wan tells Jar Jar to grab the gun of the fire team member that was killed by the laser uh, and he's gonna have some sort of device that propels them quickly through the water and the pair will go and arrive at the compound of Kaminu, a.k.a. Alcatraz from the rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so third act again, it's going to be rock type sh- shenanigans and actions. Um, so we'll have a couple of shootouts. Jar Jar is going to have to try to fire a weapon between action scenes. We'll have a bonding moment where Obi-Wan inquires as to why Jar Jar is so fearful. Jar Jar recounts that after their father's death, Brax disowned Jar Jar, blaming Jar Jar's weakness uh, for causing their father's death. And the two haven't spoken since their father's funeral. Sometime later, uh, Jar Jar and Obi-Wan dispatch two troopers dressed in clone armor. Of course, we don't know about the clones yet. Uh, Deciding that they're taking too much heat to make it to the computer, Obi-Wan decides they should steal the armor from the dead troops to use it as a disguise. As Jar Jar removes the helmet from the trooper, he's shocked to see a familiar face. The dead trooper is Jar Jar's brother. A speechless Jar Jar sits slumped in shock as Obi-Wan removes the helmet of the trooper in the background. Uh, Obi-Wan says, I wasn't expecting Kaminu ground forces to be Gungans, Obi-Wan exclaims to Jar Jar. Uh, Jar Jar goes ahead and and dons the uniform. So as usual... Oh, so he did... Wait, go ahead. So he did... It doesn't, and there's no comment, but like, oh, they're twins or something like that. So Jar Jar doesn't know that the other, the other one will also look like his brother. Exactly, exactly. But he doesn't okay. take the time to look at it. But yes, as the audience, we see it's it's the same Gungan. Mm-hmm. Um, as usual, I kind of lost steam there. What I, eventually I want to happen though is yes, Jar Jar is going to discover that all of the clones are based upon his brother. Um. And I guess the kind of cliffhanger, so to speak, going into my third movie is Jar Jar's going to have to find out whether his brother is still alive or if he was just based upon the clones or one of the many clones that he encounters in the factory. Is one of those truly his brother? We're going to find out next week on Jar Jar's quest to reunite with his brother if he's indeed out there. All right. I can dig it. I do love how ridiculous both of our Star Wars franchises have, have where they're at right now. <laughs> I mean, Attack of the Clones in my universe is Attack of the Gungan clones. You know, just imagine a whole can Gungan clone army. I just try and picture what the helmets look like now. See, I thought that, too. I was like, you could easily mask their big ears in the same helmet. That way that reveal... You don't see it coming. Because, yeah, if they've got giant Gungan ears built into the helmet, it's a giveaway. I thought it was going to be like their big 
Gungan like Bill. Yeah, you know, we're not going to redesign the Stormtrooper helmet like Disney did. I remember, God, they released like Goofy and Stormtrooper armor. Mm -hmm. I was like, Star Wars has jumped the shark. Yeah, long time ago, sir. In a galaxy long, far, long time far away. Ayo! <laughs> All right, I am very much looking forward to what happens to uh, and to Jar Jar next week. Here's what I'll say, Brett. I have no idea what the Wheel of Destiny is going to give me. I have a plan for Jar Jar's brother. It's just going to be interesting if the plan that I have in my head can be contorted for what genre I may end up getting. Because again, if I get family friendly, it's, it's going to be weird. We'll see. Yeah, you could get rom-com. Oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot. I mean, about you would just that. get comedy and have to make it a rom-com. But God almighty, <laughs> you get comedy next week. Oh, oh boy. All righty. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, final conclusion, I guess we started it last week. We, we would rank our Star Wars movies. I, I think we might be. I don't know. Well, we'll see. I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, this week, I I hate to say it. I do because I never felt this way before. But I would have to say this is probably my favorite Star Wars movie right now in our ranking system. So to be clear, we're only ranking the ones that we've seen for this review because eventually we'll do all nine. But through two Star Wars films, you think Episode 2 Attack of the Clones is the best Star Wars movie. I think holistically, Attack of the Clones is a better movie than The Phantom Menace. Do I think, I think of the two movies, The Phantom Menace has the best scene with the, the lightsaber battle. I think it, of the two, it has the best element. But I think if you're looking at the movie as a whole, the movies as a whole, I think Attack of the Clones is a better movie than The Phantom Menace. See, I love that. That's one of the many reasons I love doing these reviews with you, Brett, because I follow your logic. I just, I am diametrically opposed to it. Like, I would rather a movie be pretty bad for large stretches, but give me one 15 to 20 minute segment where I'm just, oh my God, this is what I paid money for, rather than, yes, I agree, beginning to end, I guess Attack of the Clones technically is a little bit better of a movie. Like you said, it's it's paced better. It's not just because we talked about in the, the episode one review. That's just start out on Naboo, go hang out on Tatooine, waste time, go back to Naboo, roll credits. Like it's a bad version of Mad Max Fury Road in that way. Mm -hmm. um, episode two. Yeah, Lucas is trying more. He's trying to do a little bit of film noir, sprinkles it in. But ultimately, it never, ever hits a high. Like, my heartbeat is, my pulse never quickens the entire length of the movie. The closest, maybe, would be the Django-Obi-Wan fight. I thought that was fine. But it it never hit a peak. Mm -hmm. it, it barely got out of the valley, but there was never a peak. So, for that reason, my favorite Star Wars movie of all time to this point is still episode one. Followed closely behind <laughs> by episode two. <laughs> All right, so there we have it. Of of the two Star Wars movies we have reviewed, that's where we that's where we sit right now. So, I want you to cut up the audio, Brett, and make it sound like I'm saying that well, that episode two 
anything else you'd like to put on the end of this one before we wrap her up? Uh, no, I, I, I think I'm solid. Oh, oh, I, I see. I see. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you definitely froze for me if you were uh, talking. Wait, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can't. Your apartment might have overheated. Hello? Maybe. I'm still lighting up oh, green. You're starting to come through again. Uh, turn off your camera real quick. All right, now say something. Is this any better? Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Can you hear me? All right. Testing. Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, we'll just, we'll finish it out with no video because you're Yeah, we've come internet. this far. I, yeah, we've come this far. Yeah. Um, so, so Travis, any, uh, any final words before we, uh, we wrap this one up? You're asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. Believe me, I wish I could just wish away my feelings, but I can't. I've, I'm trying to be a little more cheeky with my synopsis even going forward after this, but <laughs> it's... Brett, there better be a mention of sypho in this, this recap. No, but I did read the, I guess, the, the fucking, what is it, uh, trivia on that was, it was originally supposed to be, was it Sid Fodius? And it was a typo, and George Lucas liked how Saifu Diaz sounded, so he decided to retcon it. And he's like, nah, now it's just a Jedi. I'm like, dude, have a vision. Like, you can't... I get so tired of hearing what George Lucas was like, this was what I was originally going to do. I'm like, what? Until somebody said the word bank, and all of a sudden you wanted to put money into it? Like, what? None of this makes any sense. You just... Oh, it's, yeah. it's jazz, Brett. It's jazz. <laughs> he's making yeah, jazz. Jizz. Actually, I think jizz is what they refer to well, as the an, It was originally <laughs> jizz, but there was a typo, and it said jazz, so he like jazz better <laughs> smooth jizz <laughs> there's nothing better than some smooth jizz right between your fingers playing mm. <laughs> um of course fucking idiot animals get out of here go go both of you i love you but go yeah you're cute he's being a piece of shit I have to cut all that out. Fantastic. You should have auditioned for Anakin. <laughs> I did for the first one, but Jake Lloyd beat me. That son of a bitch. Well. It's working. It's working. Yippee. <laughs> oh. So I went. <laughs> I should have put this in. I'm just looking at some of my notes as maybe a post wrap up. Um, I do love that George Lucas could not help going full dad joke mode in like the final sections of this movie. When like when Padme climbs up on the top of the pillar and Obi-Wan goes like, I think she's on top of things. And I'm like, oh, God, oh. like I roll like that's funny. Uh, and then Jesus Christ, when uh, C-3PO, when R2's dragging him through, he pops his head off like, oh, this is quite a drag. And then as soon as he pulls him up, he's like, I feel quite beside myself when he snikes his bike. I'm like, good Lord. Like, George Lucas is on a roll with the dad jokes right now. Uh, an exchange that I forgot to bring up is 
during that the the Blade Runner speeder chase, uh, Obi Wan's like, "What took you so long?" And he's like, "Well, you know, Master, I couldn't find a speeder that I really liked." And then he continues with an open cockpit and the right speed capabilities. And then Obi-Wan's like, if you spent as much time practicing your saber technique as you did your wit, you'd rival Master Yoda's sword. But I'm like, that's what we're passing off for wit in this universe. I just, God. Uh, I also forgot to bring up the, the factory. Apparently when Padme and Anakin and all of them are having to go through the, like the factory yeah, the that stupid was video in, game. Jump, dodge, yeah, duck. That that was added in afterward. Apparently, when it, it was supposed to be like Obi Wan, where as soon as they landed, they got caught. But I guess George Lucas thought the pacing was weird, so he put that in. But my thing is, the CGI cartoon, like it's cartoon peril. Like the CGI smashers, I never thought for one second that they were in any danger. Like it just it meant nothing. So. I guess you maybe solved a pacing issue, but you certainly didn't create any actual like suspense. As a kid, Brett, did you ever watch Nick Arcade? Yeah. Do you remember how it would look? Because you could tell that they were just in front of a green screen and they were kind of like looking off center as they were like, they'd be reaching Mm -hmm. for something, but it was clearly not (laughs) there and they had to look at the monitor. That's the way that whole scene felt. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. And I think I, I, in research, I read something that he had to bring back uh, Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman for that. And I recall Natalie Portman just thinking that like she was being trolled when she showed up for reshoots. <laughs> and that's what he asked her to do. So far as to say, I think she was like, couldn't you just CGI me in this? And I guess this is the one time Lucas could. Yeah. And uh, my last note Oh, I have two last notes. One of them was that Anakin's mom's death scene was hysterical to me. I actually laughed when she, her head just falls back. <laughs> like, it's like if she wasn't dead, she definitely just snapped her neck. Um, but why, Georgie, Georgie, why did you decide that the two settings that you were going to cut between were Genosa and Tatooine, two fucking desert planets? Like, Half the time, like, it took me a minute into a scene before I realized who I was looking at. Oh, yeah. No, that happened to me several times where I'm having to mentally calculate what planet we're supposed to be on. <laughs> yeah. Of, you, you couldn't have picked two different settings. But I, I have so. to be honest with you. I will be sad when this trilogy is over because it, it's, it's holding true so far. I'll be interested next week because there's actually stuff to praise about the movie, but man, mm-hmm. there's nothing like ripping into George Lucas with you. I it just, <laughs> at least next week we'll get the, the iconic, you look just like Darth Vader. <laughs> uh... Oh man. All right. I'm Alrighty, sir. Me too.